It's a privilege to be with you this morning as we celebrate 98 years as a church. And this morning we're going to talk about headed for home. Headed for home. Before we do, let's pray together one more time. Father, thank you for this eve, uh, this morning. Thank you for um, this opportunity to gather together and worship you, Lord. It's sobering, God, to think about how you're coming back one day. And, Lord, when that happens, I just know, God, that everything that we just thought was so important, Lord, we just realize, man, how much time we wasted, God. When you come, Lord, we'll be changed. See clearly, God, as we were meant to see all along. We'll rise to meet you, Lord. And so we'll always be with you. Help us, Lord, to remember these truths. Lord, help us to fight the fight of faith today. To believe in you, to trust in your promises. God, that we too might stand, um, God, among the faithful as witnesses that you are faithful to us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And um, you may be familiar with this passage. This is the sometimes known as the great hall of faith where the author of Hebrews goes and he describes um, uh, all the great, many of these great saints from uh, history past, and they are, and he's describing their faith, how they trusted God, and how their faith in God um, enabled them to be used by God. Trust Trust is dependence for God to do what we can't do. That's why God delights to work through faith, because Through faith, God alone gets the glory for things because faith is what? It's trusting in Him to do what we can. And so as we look at this hall of faith, we see um, these witnesses that have gone before us and they're cheering us on from the sidelines as we are finishing the race that God has set before us as we are headed for home. That's what I want to do this morning is reflect a little bit and look ahead to what God has for us. So we talk about heading for home. From Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 8. And if you have a Bible and you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 8. says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents, with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, 
Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. The word of God. You may be seated. As we talk about this passage, there's three um, things I want to talk about. And this is what they are. This homecoming, number one, we journey ahead trusting God's direction. We journey ahead trusting God's direction. Number two, we walk in faith trusting God's promise. We walk in faith trusting God's promise. And number three, we live as exiles seeking God's city. We live as exiles seeking God's city. First, this homecoming, we journey ahead trusting God's direction. So as we've said here, we're looking at this great hall of faith where they recount all the great Old Testament heroes. Abel, we, we often don't think about Abel as a hero of the faith, but the Bible says that he was. He offered an acceptable sacrifice to God, unlike his brother, who had an evil spirit, okay, and murdered him. We think about Enoch. You remember Enoch? He's one of those remarkable people in the Bible that is almost never mentioned, but um, his story is remarkable almost for, because we know so little about him. But all we know is this, is that he was, and then he was not, the Bible says, because God took him. One of two people that we know of in the Bible that never die. Enoch and Elijah, taken directly into heaven. We have Noah, Abraham, Moses, Rahab. Rahab is considered a hero of the faith. She hid the spies that God sent into the land. And as it turns out, she would be in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. He outlines all these heroes of the faith, and then at the beginning of chapter 12, this is, this is kind of where he's headed by describing all these great heroes. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who... For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So the author of Hebrews looks at these great saints that have gone before us, and he calls them a cloud of witnesses. And then he gives the image there of a race. 
And so is the image is is almost like these 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 people who have uh, you can in the analogy there it's almost like you have this 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 crowd of experienced runners. <laughs> okay? This crowd of experienced runners who've run the race already, who've already finished the race, but now they stand on the sidelines watching the rest of us who are still in it. And they're cheering us on from the sidelines. And sometimes they say, go, go, don't stop, don't give up. Sometimes they say, hey, you're going the wrong way. Turn around. Sometimes they say, hey, I went that way and it didn't work out too well for me. Go this way instead. They're, they finished their race, and now they stand on the sidelines, cheering us on, pushing us on, warning us as we finish the race that has been set before us. Many great saints have gone before us here in Cottondale Baptist Church. If you go in the, the vestibule there, you can see the photo taken at the dedication of the church in 1923. I'm guessing most of us don't know who those people are. They didn't know us. But they are witnesses to the legacy of this church that started almost 100 years ago. And yes, things have changed since 1923. I don't know if you've noticed that. But the mission is still the same as it was in 1923. To glorify God by making disciples of all nations from Eastman to the end of the earth. And so until our race is over, we got to keep running. We must press on and run the race with endurance. And to do that, the author of Hebrews says, is we have to have faith. We have to put off the he, the, 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 the weight and encumbrance, it says, of sin, which clings so closely. You ever feel like your sin clings so closely? I do. We have to put it off so we can run without hindrance. You don't want to run a race weighed down. We've got to put it off so we can run with endurance the race that God has set before us. In this Hebrews passage that we read, it talks about Abraham. Obviously, we wouldn't have time to talk about everybody, but I want to focus on Abraham and Sarah here. God called him to go out to a place that would be his inheritance. And it says that he went not knowing where he was going. It says there in verse 8 that by faith Abraham obeyed. When he called out, when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, God told Abraham to. We don't want to miss the simple fact that God told Abraham to do something, and he did it. God will not bless disobedience, even when He asks you to do something that you don't understand. We must be obedient to what God tells us to do as individuals and as a church. Sometimes God calls us to new and different and surprising things. 
Abraham was 75 years old when God called him to leave home. How many of you 75-year-olds are ready to leave home and everything you know and everything familiar and live in tents for the rest of your life? Would you do it if that's what God told you to do? Because that's what God told Abraham to do when he was 75 years old. You see, I think we have a problem today, and I include myself in this, but I think we have a problem today in the, in especially the American church, and that is sometimes, oftentimes, we, perf- we confuse practicality with godliness. And they're not always the same thing. Why? Because God oftentimes calls us to do impractical things. So human wisdom and human practicality is not always the same thing as godliness, and you've got to remember that. How do I know that? Because you know how many people told Abraham what a fool he was to leave home at 75? You're a fool. That's impractical. It's not wise. Well, it's not. Unless God tells you to do it. That's the only reason you would do it. God told you to do it. But if God told you to do it, it's foolish not to. You know what else is impractical? Building a gigantic boat. Most likely not near a body of water. Huge, huge boat out in the middle of nowhere. That's impractical. Took him 120 years to build a boat. Noah, that's impractical. It's foolish. It doesn't make sense to waste your life building a boat out in the middle of nowhere. Unless it starts to rain. And then it's not so foolish anymore. You know what's impractical? There's a city over there, and we're going to conquer it, and here's how. We're going to walk around it seven times, and we're going to shout. Well, Joshua, I know you've been in the desert for a long time, buddy, and you know the heat has a way of playing with your mind. But that's not a battle strategy last time I heard. Unless God told you to do it. You know what, Gideon? You know, these Midianites, there's a vast horde of them. They're like the sand of the sea. Every year they come and sweep in and take away our crops. But you know what, Gideon? You got, you got lots of guys here. We, can, we, we have a real chance here. Till God says, you know what, Gideon? I want you to fight them with 300 men. That's not very practical. Unless God tells you to do it. And you think about Abraham. And God told Abraham to go. And then it says that as he went, he didn't even know where he was going. When's the last time you got in your car and said, I don't even know where I'm going. I'm just going to go and just hope, hope it works out.
Have you ever thought, have you ever realized that sometimes God doesn't say, go there. Sometimes he doesn't even say, go there. Sometimes all he says is, go that way. That's it. That's all you get. Not go there, go that way. And what do you got to do? Trust and obey or not believe and disobey. Those are your only two options. As a church, as people, we must sometimes be prepared to take steps that we don't even know where they're going. But you know what? It's better to live intense your whole life in the land of promise than to live comfortably in your own home in disobedience to God. So this homecoming, we must journey ahead trusting God's direction. Trusting God's direction. Number two, so we walk in faith trusting God's promise. We walk in faith trusting God's promise. In verse 11 there, it says, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, <laughs> he had a sense of humor, I think, were born descendants as many of the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So we see Abraham had faith, and we see that Sarah had faith as well. She, conceived, she received the power to conceive at 90 years of age. How many of you 90-year-olds are ready for that newborn stage again? It's fun, y'all. Now, what's interesting about Sarah, and maybe you've thought about this too, is that we don't always think of Sarah as this great epitome of faith. In fact, when God told Abraham that this time next year she would have a son, she laughed. And then she denied it. <laughs> it was like, hello, we can hear. But the author of Hebrews said she has faith. What does that tell me? Well, it tells me that sometimes at first we may doubt. But when we pause and reflect and fight the fight of faith, and that's what the Christian life is, right? You fight the fight of faith. Sometimes you struggle to believe. But what do you do? You fight the fight of faith. You remember who God is. You study the word and remember who he is, what he has done. You cling to the promises of God. You choose to not believe the lies of the world, the flesh, and the devil. You choose to believe what is true, what God has spoken and what he has said. You, you, you fight the lies with the truth of God's word so that you fight those doubts until you believe. Until you remember that what God has promised to do, he will do. And perhaps that's what Sarah did. God, as I said, delights to work through faith because faith is trusting to do, is trusting God to do what we can't do. Sarah obviously couldn't have children. She couldn't make her herself have children. She was 90 years old. It's impossible. 
But she believed. And she received the power to conceive. And God did what only God can do so that God only could get the glory for it. You see, what this tells us is that faith, faith is a conduit of grace. Right? You know what a conduit is, right? It's a, it's a, it's a channel through which something can run. Faith is a conduit of grace. When you trust in God, that opens a channel through which God's grace can flow into your life. Right? If we want God's grace and God's power in our life, we have to believe, we have to trust Him. If you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. You can't just sit there in the boat in disbelief and say, oh, I wish God would do something. Faith is a conduit of God's grace. When we trust God, that's when His power can flow through us in His life, in our lives. And notice that Sarah's faith, it wasn't, it wasn't blind faith, right? So I'm not talking about some kind of name it and claim it thing. I'm not saying you can just believe, believe, just be, believe in belief and God's going to give you whatever you want. Her faith wasn't blind faith. Her faith was grounded on a promise, right? God made a promise. What was that promise, right? That this aged couple would have more offspring than could be numbered. Descendants as the stars of the heavens and the sand on the seashore, right? And remember, the first time he made that promise, right? Because he, he told Abraham he would make him into a great nation at his initial calling when he was 75 years old, okay? And, and so most people, when they, you know, when you, hear, when you hear something like that, you would think, well, that's, a, that's kind of odd the question. People that old don't have children, but here's the, here's the thing. It's no problem for God because age isn't a hindrance from God using people. Let me say that again. Age isn't a hindrance from God using people. How do I know that? Because Abraham was 75 years old when God called him. Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt when he was 80 years old. We can never let age be an excuse for disobedience and unbelief. Abraham was 75 when he left Mesopotamia. Sarah was 90 when she conceived Isaac. We have to trust God's promise, refusing to heed human inability. You say... You say, well, I can't do it. Well, that's not the point. Of course you can't do it. God's not going to ask. Why is God going to ask you just to do what you can do? God's going to ask you to do what he can do and then give you the power to do it so that only he can get the glory for it. So we were, so human inability, <laughs> human inability is not an excuse. They believed the promise and God used them to do what they couldn't do on their own. The promise was to give them offspring. Now, now remember, the, it was initi Abraham was initially told that he would become a great nation when he was 75 years old. That's already old. 
pretty, you know, pretty old. No offense to any 75-year-old, but I'm guessing most of you aren't, aren't looking forward to children if you're 75. But he was 75. Well, guess what? He didn't, they did not have, he did not have his first child by Sarah until he was 100. So when he was 75 and God made the initial promise, he still had 25 years to wait for God to keep his promise. Maybe you've been waiting on God for something. Have you been waiting for 25 years yet? Maybe so, maybe no. But what does that tell me? It tells me God's timeline isn't always my timeline. But just because he just because his timeline's longer than mine doesn't mean I get to say, well, he must not be faithful. You know, Abraham tried to do that. I love Abraham. Everybody loves Abraham. He was a great man of faith, but you know what? As he was getting older, he thought he needed to take the promise into his own hands. Hagar, Ishmael. And God said, no, that's not the promise. The promise was to you and Sarah. And at 100 years old, 25 years of waiting on God's promise, Sarah conceived at age 90 and had a son named Isaac. The child of promise. And God, by the way, kept his promise. Did Abraham get to see the fulfillment of all the promises? No. Did he get to see his offspring, as many as the stars in the heavens and the sand of the sea? No. But you know the story. Isaac, Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Through the betrayal of 11 against 1, they sold Joseph into slavery in Egypt, but it was all part of God's plan to deliver them from death, from the famine, in which... When he lifted up Joseph, God lifted up Joseph to the right hand of power in Egypt. Jacob and his sons and 70 persons went down into Egypt. And 400 years later, Moses led them out, numbering in the millions. Why? Because God is faithful to his promises. So as we think about these witnesses of Sarah and Abraham, we commit to walk in faith, trusting in God's promises. And just as Abraham and Sarah had promises, we have promises too. Let me give you a couple. Matthew 16, 18. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You never have to wonder if God is going to build his church. Now Jesus can take away lampstands as he did in Revelation. But the church capital C cannot fall. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. We never have to wonder if Jesus is going to build our church. This is another promise. 1 Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. 
he will surely do it. You never have to wonder whether God is going to give you ultimate victory over your sin or not. That's what it says. May the God of peace sanctify you completely. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Maybe you, like me, sometimes you wonder, Lord, will, will I ever be free from this struggle of sin? And the answer is, yes, you will. You will one day be free. It may take a little longer than you think. But you will be free. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So what does that mean? It means we don't have an excuse. We don't have an excuse to keep wallowing in our sin. We can't say, we can never say... (laughs) In, in, our, in, in any kind of struggle, we can never say, well, I just can't do it. Because again, that's not the point. It's not about what we can do. It's about what God can do. And God will surely do it because he is faithful. So keep fighting sin. Don't give up. So number two, we walk in faith trusting God's promise. And finally, number three, we live as exiles seeking God's city. We live as exiles seeking God's city. Verse 13. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So, as chapter 11 kind of rounds out here, we've seen the great hall of faith, Abel, Noah, Abraham, Rahab, the judges. They all died in faith, it says, not having received the things promised. And you say, wait a second, Pastor. You just said God is faithful, but then it says that they didn't receive the things promised. So how does, how does that work? Well, as I said, God's timeline oftentimes is different than ours. And sometimes the promises given to us will be received not by us, but by our spiritual children and our spiritual great-grandchildren. Just as we are heirs of those who founded this church in 1923, they didn't receive all the promises, but it it passes down to us. Abraham never lived to see his millions of descendants, but by faith, the scripture says, he saw them and greeted them from afar. And the author of Hebrews says this, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. You see, Abraham left home to go live in tents. And God told Abraham, see, you're going to have this land as an inheritance. That means what? Well, it means it's going to belong to you. It means it's going to be home. But, but wait a second. Abraham lived in tents his whole life. Even when he got to the land of promise, he still lived in tents. It wasn't quite his home yet. And what's the author of Hebrews saying? author of Hebrews saying the reason for that is because Abraham was looking for a a different home. 
a more permanent home. A home with foundations whose builder is God. Many of the greatest of God's promises are not for now, but for later. And there's a reason for that, right? The, Peter talks about that. And in Peter's day, in, Peter, in Peter's day, people were ragging Christians. Why hadn't Jesus come back yet? Where is he? You said he's coming back. Where is he? 2,000 years ago, they were picking at Christians. And Peter said, God's not slow like you think he's slow. There's a reason why he hadn't come back yet. And here's why. Because God is patient. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why aren't all the promises of God fulfilled yet? I'll tell you why. Because there's more, because more people need to come in to share in those promises. Because God wants to enlarge the family of God so that more people can enjoy the promises that he's made. So he's patient. His timeline is long. Many more must hear the gospel and be born again by the Spirit of God and be brought into the family of God so that the family of God is enlarged so that the fullness of those who will come in will be able to share in the promises with us when they come. And they're coming. Which is why all Christians of every generation live, he says, as strangers and exiles on this earth. Why? Because none of us will enjoy all the promises apart from everybody else. God has seen fit that we're all going to enjoy the promises together when everybody has come in. So until then, until that final day, that final inheritance, we all live as Strangers, as aliens, as exiles, as sojourners, as people who are not quite home yet. You see, when you live for this world, it doesn't make sense at 75 years old to pack up and leave home. But when you believe the promise that there is an inheritance waiting for you that is better and longer lasting than anything you could grab for yourself in this life. When you really believe that, then you can, in fact, sacrifice ease and comfort and security now and be a stranger in this world now so that you can secure the better home then. They desired a better country, a better land, a heavenly one. And so must we. And that's what he's saying, right? You, the only thing that I can think of that would make a 75-year-old person pack up and leave home and live in tents the rest of their life is if they really believe that God had something better for them. And then you would go. And when you really believe that God has something better for you, only then can you leave ease and security and comfort and go out and do something like this for God. And you, can, you only can do that when you remember that nothing in this world is permanent. Nothing in this world is permanent. 
Your life isn't permanent. Your home isn't permanent. Your resource isn't permanent. Your friends aren't permanent. Your family isn't permanent. And when we remember that nothing is permanent, if we really believe that and understand it properly, what will begin to happen to us is we'll begin, we'll begin to hold things loosely. Christians must hold things loosely. Why? Because nothing is permanent. Remember what Jesus said? Whoever will not leave land... Family, even wives, children's homes, brothers, sisters, for, my, for me is not worthy of me. But whoever leaves lands, homes, families, brothers, sisters, mother, for my sake and for the gospel's sake, will receive in this time much more and in the age to come eternal life. You see, when you hold things tightly, even good things tightly, you're not free. You see, the tighter you hold on to this world, really, the tighter it's holding on to you. And you're not free. You're not free. When you hold on to this world, you're not free to leave home at 75. When you hold on to this world, you're not free to walk around the city. When you hold on to this world, you're not free to build a boat. When you hold on to this world, you're not free to, to, to step out of a boat. When you're holding on to this world, you're not free to fight a horde with 300. When you're holding on to this world, you're not free to give the last penny that you have to God. You're not free. But when you hold things loosely and you remember that nothing in this world is permanent and you remember that God has something better for you waiting beyond when you trust Him, you can let it go. You can let go of your home. It's not going to last forever. You can let go of your family. We don't think about that often, but you know all over the world right now, some Christians, they have to choose whether they're going to follow Christ or they're going to be part of their family. You know that, right? Don't ever think God couldn't ask you to do that. Nothing in this world is so precious we, could, we should consider nothing in this world so precious that we can't let it go if it's going to keep us from what God has for us. But see, when we hold things loosely, we can begin to let go. And it's time that the church of God, especially here in the United States, began to be okay with being strangers and exiles in this world. It's time to be okay. It's time to let go. It's time to start holding things more loosely. Because you know what? Because eventually, things are going to be required of you in obedience to Jesus. There's going to be a call placed on your life. It might not be just like Abraham, but it's going to be a call. You're going to have to let this go if you're going to do what I'm, what, what I'm telling you to do. It could be your job. Could be your home, could be your family, could be anything. Hold it loosely. Embrace the strangeness. Because what? Because what's going to happen is this. 
if that thing, whatever it is, if you're holding on it too tight, and really, if it's holding on to you, and Jesus and, and God says, go, but you have to leave that behind, you're not going to be able to go. You're going to be stuck. So we have to embrace the fact that the world is not our home. And when we do that, we're free. You're free. When you, when you let things, when you hold things loosely, you're free. You're free to act in faith. You're free to do things God calls you to do that doesn't make sense. You're free. Yes, to do sometimes crazy things for God. You're free to pack up your family and your kids and leave home and leave family and leave all your support structures and go take them overseas and share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus Christ. You're free to do that. You're not free to do that if you're clinging to the world. You're free to do that when you hold things loosely. You're free to obey. When you hold this world, when you hold your good, when you hold financial resources simply, for example, you're free. You're free to give more. You're free to live simply. I don't have to keep up with the Joneses. I can live off of this so that I can give the rest to missions, give the rest to God, give the rest to see others come to know Him. You're free. You're free from the grip of money. You're free. That widow, she put her last mind in the offering box at the temple. She was free. All those people who put in large sums of money, you see, they wouldn't come close to giving as much as she did. Why? Because they, were, they weren't free. But the widow was free to give all that she had to God. When we believe that God has something better for us, we're free. When we believe that time in His Word and in His Scripture, God wants to give us something better than the phone can, than the TV can, than whatever else we want to do can that pushes out the time that we make for the Lord. We believe that God wants to give us something better for that. We're free. We're free to say, you know what? That's not a bad thing, but it's not the best thing. We can live in tents here knowing that a better place is waiting for us there. As it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. And so the call this morning as we're headed for home is this. God help us and let us be a people of whom God is not ashamed to be called our God. And the way we do that is live as a people who is waiting for a home, a better one. As exiles and strangers in this world. And when we do that, we become a people of which God is not ashamed to be called our God. Let's pray.